From the book of Exodus, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, we're continuing our our sermon series today. We've uh, come across maybe one of the most famous passages of the Old Testament, except for maybe Psalm 23, and that is the Ten Commandments. And I have to be honest with you, every time I think of the Ten Commandments, I can't help but remember that scene from Mel Brooks' movie, The History of the World, Part One. Do you know the scene? (laughs) All right, Mel Brooks is supposed to be Moses, and he walks out, he walks out from onto the Mount, Mount Sinai with three tablets. And he says, I come to you from the Lord Jehovah, bringing 15. And he drops one, and it smashes, and he goes, Oi, which I love. And then he goes, ten, ten commandments for all the world to obey. Anyway, if you've never seen it, it's a good, a good clip. The ten commandments. Here's the thing. The ten commandments, yeah, they look good on the back of a courthouse wall behind the judge, right? To maybe put a little bit of fear of God in you when you're in a court of law. Okay. But what are they actually for? What is the purpose of the ten commandments? Yeah, they look good on a wall. But what actually are they supposed to do in the life of a Christian? It's actually, it's actually, you know, an enormously big question. Most people never really stop to think about it. We think of the Ten Commandments as rules, right? The Ten Suggestions, somebody once said to me. Um, but actually, are they really just rules, or is there more to it? Guess what? There's more to it. And the, ba- the purpose of the law is actually what drives to the very core of the Christian faith and separates Christianity from every other religion that's ever existed or that ever will. So two things I want to look at this morning as we continue through our walk with the Hebrews as they've left Egypt, and they're trying to figure out exactly who and what this God is that's trying to call them out of slavery into freedom. Two points. I'm going to look at the Ten Commandments, not as a law, as a rule, but as an identity, the mark of our identity. And secondly, the big question, how are we made good? So the first point the Ten Commandments as a mark of our identity, and then secondly, how are we made good? So Father Gritter made a great point last week. Um, You know, we've been doing this series of, for the past couple of months, we've watched these Hebrews, you know, continue to flop, right? God delivers them, and then they backslide. Letting go of slavery, Father Gritter said last week, he said, letting go of slavery, it's easy to get out of slavery. That's a one and done but it's awfully hard to actually let it go. Think about that. Letting go of slavery, whether you're a Hebrew or the person sitting in your seat, it takes time. Everybody, it's been said, everybody has a past. You do and I do. We've all done things or had things done to us that hold us back, that affect us, that keep us stuck even now. We are slaves to those things. We are slaves to those people. We are slaves to those events. We are slaves to our past, even now, whether you want to admit it or not. Everybody, including me, is a slave to something. Slaves, we are slaves to our past because we carry these burdens. We are slavery. And the most important thing that I want to dial in on this morning is that this slavery 
this past experiences that affect each of us, they become part of our identity as people. I'll give you an example. Um, I had a guy that once worked for me back in my IT days. I was an IT director at Siemens Corporation, actually. And I had a, buddy, a guy that worked for me from South Philly. Um, let's call him Mitch, because his name was Mitch, actually. <laughs> uh, smart guy, uh, really good troubleshooter, which is a skill you really can't teach. It's more intuition. Uh, he's a quick learner. Um, but then I mentioned Mitch was from South Philly. I think I said that, right? Uh, and Mitch had a major, what I used to call him, I'd say, dude, you've got a ma major case of scrappertude. I made that up. Scrappertude. And he, the, the, you know, he was just always looking for a fight. He took offense at the slightest thing. And he was actually a really small guy, not very big either, but man, he could just pull out that can of you-know-what whenever he had to. Nobody wanted to work with the guy. Nobody could stand working with him because you never knew when Mitch was just going to get his back up and react out of anger. Frankly, even though he worked for me, I didn't want to work with him, and I was probably going to have to fire him. So I pulled him aside. I said, Mitch, dude, listen, you got to rein this in, man. You got to figure out how you're going to deal with your past from South Philly and figure out, because now you've got this great job in this corporate position, you got to figure this one out, man. And he said, you know, well, I guess it's true. He said, you can take the kid out of South Philly, but you can't take the South Philly out of the kid. And here's the point. He's actually right. He can't take the South Philly out of the kid, but God can. God can take us as being slaves to our past, no matter what it is, and he can free us from it. But it takes time. This is Gritter's point from last week. It takes time. This is why. This is why, I mean, if you've been for this series, it seems like it's a recurring story over and over again, right? God frees them, and then they lose faith. God does it again, and then they lose faith. Manna, check, lose faith. Quail, check, lose faith. Water, check, lose faith. See my point? It's like you, and it's like me. I said a couple of weeks ago, two steps forward, one step back. And here's why. Because you can leave slavery like that, but to actually get past the slavery of your past takes literally a lifetime. Moving from our identity as slaves to our past to freedom in God just like with you, God is patient, he's bringing you along, he's leading you from slavery to freedom. And that's my first point. The Ten Commandments as a new mark of our identity. Watch this. Notice something really important about the Ten Commandments that few people actually ever stop to consider. The Ten Commandments are actually a logical progression. I'll show you. The first one is really the only one you need. And it goes like this. I am the Lord your God. I am the Lord your God. And what do I do? I free. You shall have, who has freed you from the house of bondage, from slavery. You shall have no other gods but me. All the rest of the commandments after that are commentary on the first. For example, I'll show you. I am the Lord your God. You shall have no other, well, I should say this. I am the Lord your God who has freed you. It's so cool that God identifies not, I'm the Lord your God, buckle in. I'm the God who will free you. So listen, I'm the Lord your God who frees you from slavery. You shall have no other gods but me. So, number two, remember the Sabbath and keep it holy. So the first day of the week in the Jewish calendar and even in ours, the first day of the week isn't Monday, it's Sunday. Look at your calendar on your iPhone. Even your iPhone made by Chinese slave la child labor, right? 
Even there, Sunday is the first day of the week. Look at it. And so if the Lord is your God, if the Lord is your God, and you have no other gods but him, then the first thing you do the first day of the week is worship him, which is why we are here at 1031 on a Sunday morning. And over time, you see, putting God first, making him our priority, not just here, but in practice, by being here, keeping the Sabbath holy, which means dedicated to God, it becomes part of who you are. Your old slavery begins to wash away, and your new uh, devotion begins to take root. Your identity begins to change. Look at it like this. Say you're a married man, right? I'm a married man. I've got a wife and three kids. And uh, instead of being home every night with my wife and my children, say I'm out, I don't know, every night playing poker and drinking beer. Who am I really married to, right? My wife or my poker buddies and drinking beer? See, this is my point. How you spend your time, how you spend your treasure, how you spend everything about you determines your functional God. Let me put it like to you like this. The Ten Commandments aren't just rules to follow. They are a covenant. They are a covenant between you and God. A boundary, listen, that defines and holds together that relationship between you and God. I'm the Lord your God who saves you, so therefore, worship me. Therefore, honor your father and mother. See, if you think about it, all all relationships, every relationship that you have has covenants, has boundaries, explicit or implicit. It's like a border, right? If you don't have a border, you have no country. A border defines the limits of who you are. A, bo- a relational covenant defines the, the relationship you're in. I'm a married man. When I married my wife, Kathy, I had an explicit covenant. I will love her forever until death do us part, you know, sicker and poor, you know, sicker and health, rich and poor, all that. All relationships have terms, explicit or implied, between the people in the relationship. More about that in a second. What I want you to see the Ten Commandments as is not so much law, rules to be followed, but boundaries setting the relationship between God and you. If you're going, God is saying, if, you're, if I'm going to be your God, and you can choose not to, that's your choice, but if I'm going to be your God, then you're going to make me your priority. Otherwise, something else, frankly, is your God. You can walk away. Lots of people do. But if you're going to have God at your center, you've got to have God at your center. He comes first. But then the commandments move from how we relate to God to how we relate to one another. If you notice, again, there's a logical flow here. You shall not commit adultery. The Lord says, why? Well, it destroys families. It tears people apart. You shall not lie. Well, why not? Because it damages people's trust in you. Do not murder, Scripture says, because men are made in the image and likeness of God. And if it sounds strange to you that these, these rules define the boundaries of what is acceptable if you are a worship of God, then just realize, again, that all relationships have boundaries. Even in your own family, you've got covenants. Remember when I was a kid, my, my mother, <laughs> it was my mom or my dad, I can't remember, had a list of kitchen rules. One day she said, we're going to have rules for this kitchen, and that, whatever. It, it, she put it up on the refrigerator. We kind of laughed at it. We didn't follow it, and it didn't last very long, honestly, but they tried. But all relationships have rules, explicit or implicit. Give you an example. So you got a kid that is out until 1 o'clock in the morning, didn't call, didn't let you know what was going on, and they get home, they know and you know they're wrong. Did you tell them? 
know, but they know. Why? It's an implicit covenant. Friends, all of our relationships are governed and defined and understood by a covenant agreement between us and the other person, other being, whether it's us and a wife or kid or co-worker or between us and God. With that in mind, let's read this again. Verse, commandment number one, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, who brought you out of slavery. You shall have no other gods but me. And notice something really cool here. God defines himself by what he does for you, who brought you out of slavery. He doesn't just say, I am God, obey me. That's the God of the Quran. He doesn't just say, I'm the God to do what I say. He defines himself as a God who frees himself, you, from slavery, frees us from our past. I am the God who brought you out of Egypt, who brought you out of the house of slavery. God is a God, listen, who saves. Tuck that one away for a second. God is a God by his own definition, his own identification, is a God who saves. Now, before we get into that whole idea of God saves, just notice something really important. (laughs) There's a huge problem here. And if you don't see it, you'll see it in a second. There is an enormous problem with the Ten Commandments. The huge problem is this. This contract is good, it's holy, it's clear, but nobody can do it. The law tells us how to act. The law lays out the terms of the relationship between us and God. The problem is, friends, nobody can do it. Then how are we to be made good? That's point number two. Remember, the Ten Commandments lay out God's expectation of us. He saves us if we keep our end of the contract. But the problem is, we can't. Look, we fail at number one. We put other things in the place of God. And if you say, no, I don't, yeah, you do, and I'll prove it. Are you in church every single Sunday, the first thing you do, the first day of the week? Uh, well, then guess whatever you're doing, that is your functional God. Whatever, you, whatever it is, think about, here's another one. And again, we all fall into this, including me. What is the one thing that if you lost it, it would destroy you? And it can be something really important to you. If you lost it, it would destroy you. Friends, that is your functional God. Money, sex, power, those are the big three. But think of the thing if you lost it would destroy you, and that is your functional God. All of us fall into that. All of us have lied in the past. Even if it's just a little smidgy thing, right? Like lying on your income tax. Oh, come on. Everybody does it. Father, well, okay. But God doesn't grade on a scale. The law is absolute and must be kept completely. Okay, fine. Well, maybe I don't lie. Um, Well, I would never commit adultery, that's for sure. Well, hang on a minute. Hang on. You know, Jesus says, uh, Jesus cranks it up a little bit here. He says, you know, if you look at a woman lustfully, I guess a man too, for that matter, if you're a woman, if you look at a woman lustfully, you've committed adultery with her in your heart. So if you were driving down the road one day and saw some girly running along Indian River Boulevard or saw some guy you thought was attractive, guess what? You just committed adultery. Ah, okay, well, I've never killed anybody, right? Okay, well, hang on, hang on. Jesus says if you call a brother raka, which means fool, idiot, you're driving, say you're driving down Indian River Boulevard and somebody cuts you off and you, you know, Jesus says, if you do that, you just killed that person in your heart. Here's the thing. None of us can keep this law. 
I can't, and you can't either, is an impossible standard. No one can keep that law, friends. No, no man can keep that law except for one. Jesus Christ is the only sinless man who ever lived. And Jesus Christ, the Son of God, keeps the law in your place and in mine. What we discover as Christians is that the covenant, the, new, the Ten Commandments, the covenant, the relational covenant, isn't between God and us. It's between God the Father and God the Son, who keeps the law in our place. Remember I said God defines himself as that I am the God who saves you from slavery. You know the name Jesus? We could say Joshua, same name in English. Yeshua in Hebrew. Do you know what Jesus means? The name Jesus means, ready for this? God saves. See, friends, the second person of the Trinity, the covenant of the, New, of the Old Testament, the Ten Commandments, the only one that can keep it is Jesus. And then the second person of the Trinity, God became man. We see perfect justice and perfect love at the same time. God... Here is, think about it like this. God, the God of the New Testament, solves the insoluble problem. We have a God who is so holy and so perfect that none of us could stand before him. It's like an ice cube in a blast furnace. But he, but he desires a relationship with us, which means we must be made holy, but we can't do it. How could you possibly solve that seemingly insoluble problem? There's only one way. Know how? God would have to become a man himself, be sinless, born of a virgin, come to earth, be crucified, dead, and buried, an innocent man who gives his life to keep the law and pay the price for the sins of those whom God desires to be in relationship with. It always amazes me. People think this Christianity thing is like made-up fairy tale. It is perfectly logically consistent with the premise that God lays out in Genesis chapter 1. Friends, that Jesus came down to save us from slavery by keeping the law where you and I have failed. The Christian life is all about learning to grow and leaving slavery, leaving that behind and becoming more and more like Christ and less and less like ourselves. Jesus came down to earth to save us from this slavery by keeping the law where we have failed. Paul says in Romans chapter 5, verse 8, listen to this. But God, but, but God... But God shows his love for us that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. See, the God of the Bible is a God who frees slaves, you and me. Not by what we do, because we can't do it, but by who we trust, Jesus Christ, who does it in our place. You know, the, the Greek word for faith, pestuo, doesn't mean but I believe God exists. Even the demons believe that, Jesus says. Hmm. The biblical word for faith, epistuo, means trust. The way you are made right with God is by whom you trust to be made right with God through. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, who came to earth, the incarnate God, and dies on the cross to free us from our slavery. So here's my question for you. Where are you stuck in the past? What are you a slave to from your past? Something you've done, or something that's been done to you. Those are pretty much the two categories that I can think of. You have got a choice to make, to be a slave or not. 
Our Lord invites us into covenant with him in the Ten Commandments by showing us what he expects and by his mercy forgiving us because his son kept that law in our place. And then he frees us from this slavery through Jesus' death on the cross in our place. So here's the question for you today. Will you trust him or will you remain a slave? Shall we pray? Father, we thank you for the Ten Commandments, this impossible standard that shows us not just our own brokenness, but your incredible love for us to come down to earth and save us. We thank you, Lord, for Jesus who keeps the covenant that you've made in our place, who as the only perfect man dies on the cross to free us from our own sin and bring us out of slavery into freedom. Help us, Lord, to live lives pleasing to you. Help us, Lord, to grow in our knowledge and trust of you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for tuning in to our Trinity Episcopal Church podcast. To find out more about the work God is doing through Trinity, visit us online at trinityvero.org and follow us on Facebook.